listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. So Jeff, last week we talked about all the leadership foibles that undermine growth. So we, we spent a lot of time talking about what I like to call harbisms. <laughs> uh, I didn't see that one. Coming. So today we are going to talk about the things that leaders do that enable growth. I like to call those urbanisms. <laughs> <laughs> and so for all of our listeners that don't follow college football, that will make absolutely no sense. But Anyway, that's what we're going to do today. And I know you're going to have a lot of great ideas. And I'm going to put you on the spot, actually, and make you go first. I went first last time. So I really want to hear you lead us off with some of the things that that I'll pay you a compliment, things that you've done that have enabled growth, as well as great leaders you've been around in all your years in professional services firms. Oh, my gosh. My face is is hurting from laughing. That was funny. (laughs) Well, you know, I wanted to lighten the mood a little bit, start you off. Well, you've, you've caught me off guard. I have. Because those who follow us on LinkedIn probably saw your commentary on our last episode. <laughs> well, that's why I, that's why I went and, left, because I was like, you know what? He's going to expect that I'm going to do that. And the foibles were all Jeff McKay's and all the successes were going to be Jason Malicki. So I was like, man, this is going to be fun. <laughs> well, I'm going to sit back and learn. And now you're telling me. I actually have to participate in this conversation. Man, I'll put you on the spot, you know? You know? And oh. so, yeah, yeah, I, I, I did do that. I called it audible with a line, apparently, to keeping my football theme going here. <laughs> but the, <laughs> that was a little bit facetious on LinkedIn. But I do like to think that some of the things I'm going to describe as successes are things that I've mostly done through the years, but I will also own up to the fact that I'm not always. So, all yeah. right, well, jump in. Well, you, you at least owe me that. So I okay. can be making my list is, is your. Oh, you don't have a list? You always have a list. Oh, no, man. I th- right now, I'm in my lazy boy. Oh, okay. That's a problem. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. 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 So I'm going to start with what I think is actually the most important thing as, as a leader. And, and I just, for me, it's always about just being consistent. And what I mean by being consistent is, and you've talked a lot about this over the years, having a set of values or beliefs that govern the way that you lead, the way that you manage, the way that you operate and owning them all the time, owning them, especially in moments when it's easy not to own them. So whatever those those core principles are that that govern the firm. And I think you, you actually might have talked about this last time, that idea of well, get the values off the walls and get them actually behaving and happening inside the firm. I'll never forget, I'll tell a, a really quick story and I won't name any names. So years and years ago, I had hired a consultant to help our agency help us with, really help us to help us with our culture. He told this story about a company where there's a really high performing salesperson. It's a made up story, really high performing salesperson, but that person's sort of a a bad team player. And there there maybe even lack certain ethical qualities that the the firm wants and, and they're argumentative and all these things. And what do you do with them? And of course, you know, the answer to me, it was fairly illogical. It's like, yeah, even if they're a high performer, you have to get rid of them because they're toxic and they're they're kind of eroding the culture of the firm from within. And I had a person on my team, so then I, that's how I answered. And the consultant said, well, what do you think of that? And one of the persons on my team said, boy, you know, that scares me because that means even the high performer can get kicked out. <laughs> I thought to myself, that's probably not a good sign for you. <laughs> Because, you know, I think most people look at that fully the opposite, right? Is that, you know, you're living up to what you believe, even in moments when it's going to hurt you to follow those values. So does that make sense? 
Oh, it makes total sense. And what you just described separates the best firms from the average and mediocre firms because they're willing to make those hard decisions. Most firms won't make those decisions. And that's why their cultures are suboptimal and, you know, people turn over and the cultures aren't healthy. Yeah. And it has a cascading effect because everything else that comes out of your mouth is, you know, suspect. They're like, oh, yeah, that's what you said over there, but you really don't do it that way. So if you're saying this now, is that really going to be any different? So it really has a compounding effect in a negative direction, but it has a compounding effect in a positive direction as well. Yeah, yeah that's a big one. That's a big one. I think it's hard too, because I mean, I think, you know, we're, whenever you're a leader or even a parent, you know, think about parenting, you know, the moment that you're not consistent, if, you, if this, if this is the way you always function and all of a sudden you, you, you do something different, then it just sends all these ripple effects. People get confused. Why, why do you do that? Why? Mm-hmm. How come it was okay Tuesday and now it's not? I don't understand. And it's hard, actually. I think it's hard for us to be consistent at times. Uh, you know, That was one on my list. I call that taking the path of the positive of it is taking the path that sometimes has the most resistance, mm-hmm. not the path of least resistance. It's always easier to just kind of go with the flow, go along to get along. I wrote a blog post on this, the difference between rivers and canals, that is a great metaphor for this. And it was in relationship to building cross-selling cultures. And rivers just kind of flow downhill, you know, to the sea. They meander. And they take, yeah, they meander. They take the path of least resistance. Where's the soil soft? How does it kind of cut its way down? And it just kind of meanders. It gets there. but canals take a lot of work to build, a lot of work, a lot of planning. And if you just think of the Panama Canal and and what was involved in in that, it was behind timeline, over budget. It was, you know, people dying of malaria. It was horrible. But there was a commitment to it and it changed the shipping industry. And I believe, you know, building these cultures are akin to building canals. It takes effort, but the rewards are huge. And I understand why firms do this. And I don't want to judge them too harshly because we're all human, but you have to make a stand on some things. And sometimes those stands have to be really visible and they do have to be pretty consistent. I think leadership and this may offend some people, is akin to parenting, right? You got to have the right general disposition and direction of wanting the best for your kids. You're going to make mistakes. I've even gotten in the habit of apologizing to my kids when I react too fast or maybe on reflection, don't come up with the right conclusion. And I I think firms should be that way of you know, be as consistent as you possibly can. And when you are inconsistent, you have to explain the inconsistency. But the metaphor for me in this attribute that we're discussing that enables growth is don't be a river, be a canal. Yeah. I I like that analogy a lot. There's a lot of extensions to it. I I, want to say, and I I could be wrong, Planet Money did a podcast episode about that. And I want to say that the banana industry, you know, pervasive, cheap bananas all across the United States kind of came out of that. So in a way, it's kind of like what you're saying. It's like all these 
new things came out of that, you know, really difficult <laughs> process that almost looked like it was never going to happen. All right. So let's, let's transition. So let's, let's talk about another one. Now you're on the spot. So I actually did have a list this time. There's only 63. <laughs> so this one is really important. I call it managing the envelope. When we talked about developing the intellectual capital agenda, I introduced this concept of managing the envelope, uh, the performance envelope, where your core business is under constant pressure from competition and innovation and commoditization that the firm needs to be developing new solutions and services on the periphery of that. And the best firms manage their performance and all the tensions associated with a performance envelope really well. And they do three things that manage the envelope and enable growth in a positive and I'll say controlled, maybe controlled isn't the right word, but planned, purposeful is maybe the word. So the first thing is, I, I think the best leaders that enable growth understand the concept of the performance envelope. So you're saying I'm in, I'm in trouble. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you interpret, but you have to understand the concept, right? And that given the nature of professional services firms, this is the business model. This is a tension that exists in the firm. So you, number one, you have to understand that. So call that awareness. Two, you need to educate and enable others in the firm to understand and manage the performance envelope. So not only are you, you know, kind of a leader and examiner of that business model, but you're a teacher and facilitator of it with your practice leaders, your industries, your geographies as well. And then third, you have to have a tangible plan to actually manage it and make strategic choices, make strategic investments, and make go, no-go decisions around these evolving areas of the firm instead of just leaving it willy-nilly up to the practice or the competitive marketplace to dictate where you will or you will not play. So I think the best leaders understand the performance envelope. They help others understand it, and they have a plan in place to manage it. So I want to clarify. So to me, I'd like to hear if, if you... <laughs> I guess I'm asking whether I understand the performance envelope myself, is to me, it's the tension between where revenue comes from today and where revenue will come from tomorrow. And the revenue of today is under commoditization and all these threats that you described. And the revenue tomorrow is, it's the edge of that. It's the new solutions. It's the new spaces that we need to occupy that, that are not under as many threats potentially, but are nascent and emerging and evolving. And we don't know what they are yet. And we don't even know how to build for them or staff for them or optimize for them quite yet. We're still learning. Exactly. And, and you hit on the two most important items there. The first is the performance envelope is the place where you do your most profitable core work because your firm is built around a business model that scales around that work. So everything from client delivery to sales, RFPs, but probably more importantly, the recruiting efforts to staff that are all geared towards building a particular 
type of model around a particular type of work and person that delivers that. Mm -hmm. And because you do that work really well, chances are your brand is strong in that area. Whereas on the periphery of the performance envelope, you're doing probably the opposite or different enough approach to the type of people you're recruiting. And think of McKinsey, whose core was strategy and hired MBAs to now it's digital transformation and creative. You know, there's a totally different type of recruiting process around attracting those type of people and the sources of those those people. And then the second, you didn't use the term, but you described it really well, is that core brand that operates in the middle of that well-run performance envelope now needs to evolve. And that's why we talked about this in the intellectual capital strategy is that you need to build your brand's relevance in these new solution areas, which means you need to make strategic choices about where investments are going to be both in brand building and adding bodies to the firm. That's why it's, it's so important to me. And if you're proactively looking at your firm that way, you're going to be ahead of your competition, which means you're going to get to market faster and hopefully you're going to have access to the best talent instead of getting to the market late. Yeah, no, I really like that a lot. It kind of dovetails one that I had on my list. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. A couple I had on my list, I'm going to merge them together into one based on what you just said. One of the things I've noticed over the years, and this is something you see in business leaders everywhere, is, the, is the, the strongest business leaders tend to be avid readers, you know, just massive consumers of information. And they, the ones I've met, the people that I find are great leaders, it's like every time I talk to them, they, they're, they're so well read that they have such a diverse view on so many things. And it's, it's always a healthy and, and lively interaction. And I, I think that dovetails in as ways as I said, immerse them is, is I think they use that sort of incredible acquisition of knowledge, insatiable acquisition of knowledge to get a picture of what's going on and figure out really where they're going to play and how they're going to win, right? They use that, that insatiable learning model to paint a picture of what's on the edge of that envelope, as you described it, right? Like, you know, it's one thing to understand it. It's another thing to say, well, what's on that edge? And what are the things that we need to be investing in that we're not right now? So that's, I kind of, I had those as two separate things, but I sort of merged them into one, just this idea that if you're going to do that well, then you're going to have to be an insatiable consumer of information to be aware of what's happening on the edges there from all types of sources. So- Absolutely. And the the more sources that you have, the more opportunity you have to see the interconnections and patterns evolving. And that's the essence of, I think, strategic leadership is being able to, as they say in that trite analogy, skate to where the puck is. Yeah. Yeah. Did you want to say anything else on that? No, no, no. Because you you triggered a thought in me that I think is another important attribute of leaders that unleash their growth potential. And it's that they are, I'm going to make up a word here, anti-hierarchical. There you go. 
<laughs> there you go. You know, most firms probably pride themselves on thinking that they're flat organizations, but they're not just given the very nature of partnerships or shareholders and non-shareholders. There is a pecking order. And, you know, we've talked about that in the BS of PS and, and, and what that does within professional services firms. But to your point about data sources and pulling in information, the best leaders are anti-hierarchical because they will go anywhere and listen to anyone for insights and learning. That new person coming into the firm whether it's an intern or mid-level manager who may not have a platform to share their insights. The best leaders don't wait for those insights to come to them. They go out and ask for them. And they do it in the context of everyday conversations and, you know, I think a sincere interest in, you know, individuals. Yeah. And you ask for opinions. And more importantly, more importantly, you make it safe for them to share opinions and you set the expectations that they should share expectations. And when you do this as a leader, sure, you're going to get some stupid, (laughs) (laughs) stupid ideas and feedback because these people may not have the full picture that goes with asking, but you cannot let that keep you from asking because you don't know where the great idea or nugget's going to come from that's going to snap into all that other knowledge and be the connector for you to provide a strategic insight. And two, you want as many people engaged in the problem solving in the future of the firm. And by asking those opinions, you get those younger people thinking critically, right? Instead of just focused on their work, they're starting to look outside their, their own little world. And the best firms have people that think that way. It's better for your firm. It's even better for your clients. So every leader that has ever excelled that I've been around has this attribute in spades. And they just love to learn from everybody. And they treat people with respect around those ideas. Yeah, no, that's it's a really great one. I, I was thinking as you were talking about, yeah, I've talked to you about this. There's an electrical distribution company here in Columbus that we did some work with. And the leader of that organization, I mean, super successful company. I mean, and he's really taken it to incredible heights in his tenure. It's a third or fourth generation business. But what's so cool about this guy is, I mean, he is crazy successful. But man, he he can relate to anybody in that universe. He can relate to, you know, the executives at GE and he can relate to the, you know, the one person home residential electrician that, you know, walks into his uh, store, you know, and he and he and he cares about all of them, right? You know, <laughs> Really, really compelling guy. I, I spent a little bit of time with him, and it was just really neat to see how how much respect he had from so many different dimensions of the, the company, its customers, its suppliers. It was just a, it was really, really neat to see. And when you encounter people like that, it's like you got to take it in because you realize th- th- what they're doing is special, and, and and you have to learn how to how to model it as best you can. So that's cool stuff. All right, how much time we got here? Okay, we got time for one more. You got one that's just burning a hole through the paper. You're just like, man, if this doesn't get out, this episode has failed an abysmal, you know, <laughs> that, that team up north type of failure, that type of, you know, really bad failure. All right, I'm going to give one and a half. Okay, good. Even better. My half is go back to our last episode 
and listened to the foibles and the micromanagement versus risk taking. You got to enable an environment that makes it safe to take smart risk. And we we touched on that in the last episode. So I'm not going to go back to that, but that one would be one of those at the top of my list for sure. But this one, this is the one that I think needs to to get out there because it's so important. And the best leader I've ever worked for was a woman named Nancy Peckloff at Arthur Anderson. The woman was so incredible as a professional, as a leader, as a person. I just have the utmost respect for her. She's she's done more to to shape who I am as a professional than I think anybody has. And that's saying a lot. But she had this attribute and you don't see it very often, but she had her priorities straight. She always thought people first, firm second, practice third. People first, firm second, practice third. Most leaders have that reversed. Practice first, firm second, people third. I saw her get the most out of her people, me included, by focusing on us and our goals and our gifts and just working to unleash them. And there were examples where she actually, you know, took high po A players for her team and helped them get out of the firm to get onto a career that was really burning within them. I mean, it hurt her team in the short term to lose some of these key players, but in the long term, paid incredible dividends, I think, not just to the individual who left, but, you know, I think to the team who saw that passion and concern and made us even more loyal to her, but also to the firm because, you know, shaking up teams and bringing in new people and new ideas and it's just win, win, win all the way around. So most important one for me, think people first, firm second, practice third. I really like that one a lot because I think you hit the nail on the head. So often it's the other way around. It's what can I do to grow my practice? What can you do to grow my practice? (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, well, your firm's goals, eh, whatever, you know, but I I really like that a lot. And it's interesting because you see it in firms. You know, I was thinking back to an agency I worked for a very long time ago and just how powerful the, the experience of that, of that agency was for so many people. The founder posted a note on LinkedIn the day saying that this would have been 40th anniversary of the, of the business, but she had sold it to IBM a few years ago. And, and just the, the pile on of people, you know, just commenting on how transformative that experience was, was just a remarkable. Just me. So, so the evidence of what you described is in the alumni networks is what I was trying to get at, right? Because mm-hmm. when you see these you know, really strong alumni talking about the experiences they had there, it makes you realize that that's an organization that really did do exactly what you said. And that's what makes it successful. So, all right. I can't think of a better place to stop than that because that was really powerful stuff and a lot of fun as well. So. Thank you for sharing your thoughts on successful leadership. Even though I prodded you on LinkedIn, I knew you'd have a lot of really, really good stuff to share. So well, I really didn't appreciate your making me get up out of the lazy boy. <laughs> that thing has a little lever on it, though. It just pops you up, right? <laughs> All right, man. I'll talk to you next week. See you, buddy. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. 
Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher.